Welcome to the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name is Alon. And my name's Aura. Now, I think I've said this in the past couple episodes, that we're getting really close to these new systems. Did, did you realize it's only a couple weeks away? Well, I do now. <laughs> so it's like, it's two weeks to the PlayStation 4, three for the Xbox One. And, you know, I don't... During my work day, I don't sit around thinking about video games all that much, like in, unless it comes up as a topic of conversation or something. But then I come here, and it becomes it comes a major talk it becomes a major topic. But then I I think to myself, I still still don't know what games are coming out. Like I know that on the fifteenth ish, I'm not even going to be in town, but Sony's going to send me a system. And then on the twenty first, I'm going to go hang out at Microsoft at midnight and get the Xbox One. And then the next day on the twenty second. I'm going to buy Super Mario 3D World. So, like, of everything that's happening, the only game I actually know I'm going to be playing is for the Wii U, not for the new stuff. I have no idea. Like, Dead Rising 3 comes out. Eh, I kind of want to try it. Maybe talk about that a bit later. But, like, not... I don't know. Killer Instinct I know I want to play, but that's sort of, you know... That's not launch, is it? It is launch. It is launch. Yeah, but it's... Shows you how much I've been following. But, you know, it's just, I mean, it's a remake, and it's not its not exactly the same as the old game, but it's obviously intended to, like, I sort of know what I'm getting is my point, right? Well, that's what you think now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I suppose. Thinking of the new and fresh stuff, it's, it's I'm, I'm basically going to be a subject of whatever, they're like, hey, this is the new game to get on Sony, like Knack or something. I, don't even, I can't even keep track of which one is Xbox and which one is, is uh, PlayStation, but like... There's the game for Sony, and maybe is there a game for Xbox that's like the thing everyone's supposed supposed to be getting? Like none of them have this, you know, like the Mario title. You yeah, know? you know, I'm I'm not an authority. I shouldn't I shouldn't be authoritative about this, and so I'm going to disclaim that right away because I am my my gaming taste is so narrow that of course I would not be interested in actual hardware coming out. Or even what, you know, the hot new game is that's going to come out on the hot new console that's coming out in two weeks that I also didn't know about or pay attention to until now. (laughs) But the funny thing to me is that, well, okay, so anyway, after all of those caveats, right, what I would like to say is that my impression is that more so than perhaps in previous generational launches... There does not seem to be much standout software. I mean, we know we talked last time or the time before about how a bunch of those titles that were anticipated, the ones that I whose names I could recall, those have been massively delayed, at least for Sony, like Drive Club, right? Yeah, although they're pushing up Need for Speed, whatever. To, to match launch because Drive Club's going to be gone. So then that makes me think, if I wanted a driving game, Need for Speed because it was rushed. Yeah, but here's, here's the problem. And I think now that I, now that I try to recall more, maybe, maybe this isn't so um, unique, this generational launch from the others. Because here's the problem that video game publishers have, especially the big three who do have their own console. You see... They just, they not only have to bring out a new console, they have to bring out software, right? And this is software that takes several years to develop for one. And that's just assuming that, I mean, look, the odds are stacked against you as a publisher like crazy because you have to have your software in the pipeline, right? You have to have completely new technology, new hardware, and you know that anytime you have totally new hardware, there's going to be some lag if if the games that are coming out for it are going to be any good, right? There's some lag time in there. You have to somehow coordinate that problem, right? With the the reality that you have to have your you want to have ideally, right? Your software ready when your hardware is ready, but you have to do both. And it, we as we've seen, it's very very hard just in practice. I mean, we can just see the results of doing both. I mean, what? You know, we all know that the first generation of games that comes out on a console is, uh, except for a few exceptions, it's usually the pretty much the worst round of games that you'll get. 
Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like I know in advance that in three months, everyone will look back at these games that were like, we're seeing video of and be like, Oh my God, rising. Right. And then it's going to be the game that's in the bargain bin in no time flat. Right. And now it's, and it's even worse because besides all those factors that a publisher has to deal with, they also have to deal with the unknown or the unknown up to a point factor of, well, look, it's also known that the first console manufacturer that gets their console to the market has a huge advantage in any given generation. And so you have to, so they have to juggle all those things, right? With the problem of, well, you know, it's also we want to get there first or we want to get there around the same time, at least, that the other people are getting there. Because otherwise we'll miss out on a huge boat of cash. I, I don't know. This uh, new system to launch thing was sort of proven wrong this generation, right? How's that? Well, Nintendo came out a year ago and nobody bought it. Yeah, but you could – well, it's funny though. I mean it depends – it came out long ago enough that you could argue about what generation it belongs to. I mean it seems pretty steadfastly in the middle, right? Technologically in terms of what you see on the screen – yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I don't think it's at the same caliber as these two things coming out now. I guess it is a special case that it came out early, but the the hardware capability is so far behind just because Nintendo's trailing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. At least in terms of graphics, right? Like, I don't want to uh, diminish uh, their, their hardware capabilities in uh, non-standard dimensions, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, it came out a while ago. It's, it's almost like, it's like the Saturn, you know? Like, the Saturn came out at, like, a weird time, you know? Yeah, like a whole year early. Yeah. And then it was behind the, the times. But my whole point is, right, Sony can't just say, okay, look, uh, all our marquee name games, right, the ones that are going to bring in the big bucks that we're intending to have around launch, you know, they can't just be like, okay, well, we'll just delay the console so that those things come in because that means that they're delaying their console until like mid-next year, right? And of course, they can't release the console mid-next year. So no, if you're going to wait until mid-next year, you might as well wait until the whole year, right, until the next season. And, and, of course, that is also something you don't want to do because now you've lost an entire year of sales. So what do you do? Uh, just bring it out anyway, and uh, I'll pressure all your developers and the ones who can't make it. I guess those are delayed. And that's what's happening now, it seems. All right. So, so still, the news that I'm reading is fraught with – with commentary on the two new systems, right? Um, and so I start questioning, if, first of all, is there anything that I really care about? Or am I just continuing to be a hardware junkie, right? Which I definitely am. Um, although I, got, I actually got to say, I read someone, I don't know authors' names, but uh, someone, I guess, who writes for Forbes uh, did a game review for Assassin's Creed 4. So we have to clarify. It's Forbes.com, the National Enquirer-esque venue, not the uh, print magazine proper. Yeah. Okay. So Let's Forbes... get that clear before we move on. So now, before you said that, I didn't know there was some special difference. I figured it was basically the same. Yeah. No, Forbes.com is like Craigslist, and uh, Forbes the magazine resembles uh, a highly lauded and respected magazine. So it's interesting you say that. But I, I assume that... But go ahead. I don't, I don't want to... Uh, officially, they are the same company, right? Or One would pre- presume so much. You're just saying the content that's there is actually... Okay. Yeah. So I thought to myself, well, Forbes is respectable. And I read this, this review of Assassin's Creed 4, although not, not for next gen, but it was just the game. And I figure the game will be just as good, if not you know, graphically better on the new systems, talking about how amazing it was. And so I was like, oh, this kind of convinces me that I want to play this game. It's so much better than the other ones and whatever. And then I realized that, like, he had a little bit of criticism for it, but he shoved all that criticism into, like, two paragraphs at the very end of a four-and-a-half-page review where I just read good, 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 and a little bad. And I, I'm not willing to believe that this game, given the way that he actually described it and my bias against Ubisoft, um, I'm not willing to believe that it's really that good, that it warranted four pages of good with a tiny little side note of bad. It's at, probably at not because, well, most games aren't, for one, and for two... You mean just aren't that good? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the reality is, is that 
there's just even the greatest games of all time have tons of flaws. Even my favorite games of all time have tons of flaws. And it's that's a really I never actually thought about it in this way that you framed it, right? Which is like X amount of content that's positive in a review and then X amount of critical content after that or whatever. However, but to think about it in terms of that that, that distribution, right? It's like here's the it's so weird to me because as a reviewer make ultimately a decision on how much content to spend on criticisms and how much to spend on praise. And there's like this tacit expectation that the proportions of time you spend on each would reflect the overall quality of the product, but that doesn't necessarily follow because you only end up dedicating the amount of time that you want according to like whatever, you know, your discriminating decisions are. What what do you mean? Well, I mean, like, whatever suits your fancy is what I'm saying. Basically, you just write however you want. So if you like the game, you write a ton of good stuff. Yeah, I think that's what all the reviewers do. It's what I did when I reviewed games. And the funny thing was is that I would tend to talk about critical things more because that's more interesting to me. Because the most boring thing in the world to me is, you know, this is awesome. Oh, no, wait, this is awesome, too. And this other thing, uh, that's also awesome. And then there's this fourth thing that's awesome. And then seven through twelve. And so on. And it's just it's just really uninteresting for me to enumerate things that are good, right? It's more interesting to me to kind of like talk about what's bad and why is it bad and how is it that way and all these other things. And, well, it reminds me of a story that uh, we'll get to when we come back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. We are back. You are still listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Which, by the way, sponsored by UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology. Now, uh, the, the break sort of cut you off. You were, you were in the middle of a thought here. I was talking about Assassin's Creed 4 in a review that was very, very positive, but I think deceptively so. Yeah, so here's, here's the funny thing. was Back uh, when I was actually doing video game reviews... I was writing for GameSpy, and back when they used to actually be a site that had reviews, and every once in a while I would get my review kicked back with some kind of comment, and sometimes it would be, well, okay, I don't want to talk about that other stuff right now. The one I do want to talk about right now is the one where... So I'd be tasked with writing a review and also giving it, the game an overall score. Okay, that's how they did their reviews. It was like 1 to 100 scored at the time. And so one time I got a review kicked back to me and it was like, oh, this is what the editor said. I don't think, uh, I don't think that the prose of your review basically is in line with the score you've given it. And this is, the, this is how it's interesting, right? Because... I don't, I'm just going off of what I think I would have done at the time because it's been far too long since I could actually remember. But probably what I did was I spent a lot of time talking about critical things and maybe gave 
the review much higher. But no, no, wait, that wouldn't have never happened. I would have never given a very high score to any game. Yeah, that seems strange to me. Yeah, so it was probably lower than uh, now in retrospect. That was probably the case. Yeah, my, so my score is probably lower than uh, how much I was effusing about it. But the fun, the funny thing was, was and now that I think of all this in light with what you just started out saying at the beginning of the show, is that it's funny because you kind of like expect tacitly that yeah you know if if the game if the review is 5% criticism and 95% praise then that's about the score of the game right it's about a 95 out of 100 but yeah. it just it doesn't it doesn't work that way and i don't think writers actually are that careful in general to proportion their words that way either I mean, I, I know it's not perfect, right? Especially if there's some glaring problem and you touch on that, but you're like, I don't need to spend all day talking about it, right? That's that's one thing. But but certainly, given a large amount of content, if you go on and on about how awesome it is and only a little bit about how not awesome it is, I, I do think there's some sort of connection there. Um, it almost sounds like, and um, I don't want to, no, I do want to discredit Forbes.com. <laughs> it, it almost sounds like they've just given it the token criticisms like, well, well, this can't be all praise. So let's just, you know, here's here's the token multicultural person in the uh, in the show's cast so that we can say that we've done that. Well, I mean, Was, did it feel like that to you? It certainly felt like he has to throw in some criticism. So it did. It. And yeah. that's but but I also just don't believe it. I don't believe that it was that light on things to criticize. I think he was, for whatever reason, he's like, oh, my God, this is awesome, and wasn't being straightforward about problems. Also because, you know, there's that concern that it's a AAA title and they're getting bought a little bit, or maybe they schmoozed him. I, I don't know. I just, I definitely believe that the hype of a game, whether or not it was actually paid for or whatever, the review, I mean, the hype of a game definitely feeds into the review score. Yeah, and definitely other, a preview and and also a review. For sure. And the other the other thing that this all feeds into is the I suppose unfortunate reality that the video game reviewer can always use the defense of well, it's just my opinion. And that one element is what makes corruption in reviews possible. And not only possible, but uh, easily defensible and you can uh, and also exploitable to no end. So here's something I, I've kind of mentioned this before, right? And here's another me- mechanism in which this corruption can happen where uh, nobody is really blatantly doing anything wrong as a single person, but collectively uh, you're in a very corrupt situation. And what happens is, and this does happen, is that the editor will pick somebody to review the game that they just know uh, is just total gaga over that product, right? So this this allows uh, multiple people to save face and also uh, claim uh, a disclaim any la- any responsibility for anything they do. And that's why you always liked was it EGM. Right, we've talked about this before. Yeah, EGM yeah. had the multiple review, which was review. which was actually originally Famitsu's. They aped Famitsu's oh, uh, format. It? Okay, but uh, Famicom Tsushin, which was a really popular video game magazine, that's still I think it's still going. Actually, it's like weekly. It's ridiculous. Anyway, yeah, I mean that was the great thing about that format because you had the same five people or four people or whatever reviewing every single game, and that allowed you to kind of whittle away all of the differences between the reviewers to arrive at some kind of, you know, perceptible truth about what the game is. And that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it, I hated how, you know, what they did, what EGM did in their later years was they just completely destroyed that format because they had, because the beauty of that format is in retaining the same people doing the same reviews. Yeah. That's the structure. They had more than four reviewers. Yeah. And they just went all over the place. Some games just had one review. Here's the funny thing. The big games sometimes, the really big ones, I think, just had like one reviewer. Okay. With no commentary from anybody else at all. Yeah. So how interesting is that? 
Because doesn't that just simply allow you to game this system as an editor even better? Yeah. Because if there's there's a big hit A that company B wants to make sure gets a good review, then you as the editor can give them that uh, so-called courtesy, just giving it to somebody and you still that you know is going to give a good review, whether that's fair or not. And you still have your little review crew with the other products still. And so I never actually thought about why they did that from time to time. And now I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, we're, we're also really skeptical, you know, maybe it wasn't all hijinks, but anyway, I, I do want to move on a little bit past this. We, we've talked about reviewing stuff in the past and I just, I felt weird reading that. Did I take what did, what did you did I take this in a totally different direction than you wanted yeah, to go? Yeah, a little bit. Well, we can wrap around. I just I want, just wanted to make the point that I it got me excited about this game. I was like, "Oh, maybe I should try this game. Maybe I now know what game I'll get. Like I won't get it on the current gen. I'll wait a couple of weeks, get it on the next gen." And then as I read him just go on and on about how great it was and then never really touch on the bad. And then he like he kind of did at the end, but I just felt like he didn't give it a genuine effort. I was like, "You know what? I think he's BSing me like I'm reading these four pages of how awesome the game is and I think he's actually full of it and and again I'm skeptical by nature but I don't know like there, there's a lot of history of Ubisoft screwing me yeah well there's uh, there's now a lot of history of uh, Forbes.com uh, providing uh, poor qu- content quality. So. Okay. Well, I'll I'll have to take your word on that because I have not. Uh, you know not what? Given that you don't test. have to. You can keep going there and you can learn your lesson. Okay. If it doesn't take one article. So another another thing, and this won't take too long, um, but it's also on the topic of the new consoles. Did Did you read any of the articles that are like? Well, I don't know that there's a lot of these articles. There's one talking about Call of Duty Ghosts. Whatever the next Call of Duty game, I couldn't. You know, I don't care what game we're talking about. I think I may have seen a TV commercial. I'm like, wow, this looks really cool. Oh, it's another Call of Duty yeah. game. I mean, I, I don't care what game it is. The point I'm making here is that uh, it was announced or discussed, I guess, by, by one of the developers that on the Xbox One, the game is rendered in 720. And, of course, upscaled to 1080, right? But it's rendered in 720. And on the PS4, it's rendered in full 1080, how interesting. Right. Guess guess uh, what their primary development console was. Uh, do you think that's what the difference was that they developed on the PlayStation 4? Oh, yeah. I just figured it was one is less powered than the other. Well, that may be Microsoft's true Microsoft's trying to pretend like it is just as powerful when it's not really. That I mean, that may also be true. But at the very least, um, yeah, it sounds like they developed it on that first and they ported it to 360 or <laughs> one. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was because now I'm like, well, that seals the deal because I with all the stuff going on with Microsoft and like the cooler controller on the PS4 and how Sony is just sort of opening up and sort of fixing things like I feel like PlayStation PlayStation one and PlayStation two were amazing. Right. And Sony was was clearly the the lead horse in those races, even though I found myself playing Xbox more than PlayStation because it was just more powerful. Um, I'm talking about Xbox versus PlayStation two. Um Sony had a really strong offering. And then PlayStation 3, I feel like they screwed the pooch. I'm not even quite sure how. I think it's just they didn't have the online system that, that Microsoft had. But now I feel like... Yeah, they definitely didn't invest nearly yeah, as Microsoft. But Microsoft it, doubled down like crazy. It really seems like Sony has come into its own and figured it out. Like, we're going to develop the system in a way that the developers want it to be developed so that it's easier to make games. We're going to pay attention to what people want. We're going to give them what they want. We're not going to make all these rules and shenanigans about how the system runs to just, you know, line our pockets or anything. We're going to do what people want. We're going to focus on the people, the, both the developers and the consumers, and give them what they want. And then I hear stuff like, and it's rendered in way higher resolution than the Xbox One. It's like, all right, well, I'm just not really going to play Xbox unless there's a game for it that is unique. And it was the complete inverse this generation. I would never get something for the PlayStation 3 unless it was unique to that yeah, that hardware. You know what's funny about the 720, 1080 thing? It's really hard to tell. You think so? I mean, it probably is, but still, I feel better. I feel well, like I'm playing the real game. You can tell, but I'll I'll say this is great. It's, it's time to go to break as soon as I start talking all the time this show. Okay, we'll be back. 
to me, Mario. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. It's a number one. We are back again. I gotta remind everyone, by the way, that we have a Facebook page. Do you remember? Do you remember we have a Facebook page? Yeah, it's at uh, Facebook.com. Facebook, well, yes, slash uh, Chatterbox Video Game Radio. So feel free to visit that. Um, <clears throat> so you were cut short once again by the break. I was talking about how uh, Call of Duty Ghosts, I believe, is rendered much differently. Um, you know, before before it's displayed. Yeah, here's Xbox the funny one versus thing. PlayStation Four. Can, I mean, can you tell the difference between 720 and 1080? Like, if you just glance at the screen, you can no, be not like, if I just glance. And okay, let's say motion. you have like as long like uh, 20 seconds. If I need to pick it out, yeah, you know, basically, if you can, I mean, there's a lot of anti-aliasing generally with Microsoft. I assume they're going to keep doing that with the Xbox One, so it still looks good. And um, but it, my point is that it it points in a very specific way to the power of the system. Yeah, it does. And so well, that's going to reflect in other areas as well. Here's, I have a different angle, though. Here's what I'm getting at. There's, there's a definite difference in quality. It's a distinct difference, and it is a big difference. But the problem is, is that with, when you are not able to compare side by side, it is very difficult to notice if you're on 720 or 1080. I had even with my even with my 52-inch TV I'll have to I have to press this button on the thing and it'll tell me what picture mode it's in, right? There's some games when I play certain games I'm just like is this 720? And I don't I'm not sure. I have to press the button for it to tell me whether it's 7 in 720 mode or 1080. And the other thing that's really funny is that some of these games that are at 1080 are not actually even rendering the full screen. What it, What do you mean? Like, uh, I think we've talked about this off the show. Like, Gran Turismo 5, for example. Well, the screen is at 1080, but it is not rendering uh, 1080 by 1920 pixels. So I, I mean, I know that the games will render in an upscale. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Well... We don't, I mean, I don't know exactly what's going on internally and how it's doing it, but yeah, there's basically, um, it's not a one to one pixel ratio, is what it's doing. And you can't tell. There's no way for you to know. The only reason why I know this is because I I read that there's that, um, there's that site that does these massive, whose name I, of course, don't recall right now, these massive technical analyses. On on different uh, games and their their resolutions and you know they'll do they'll do things like you know oh which is better you know uh, you know if some game that's on both systems like which which system is it better on and so on I and have read a you, couple of those yeah all these yeah. like minute granular details that you never notice and even when you learn about them you forget about them after you know a couple of days and yeah I mean Gran Turismo doesn't even use the entire screen resolution and it's at 1080 and it's it's funny because like it's just so funny that you can't it's just like one of those things that it's on the fringe of perception it's good i mean you want it's not like 720 is 1080 it's so much better looking at 1080 but the fact that it's gotten to the point where sometimes we can't really tell which one it is is endlessly fascinating yeah. to me well especially when it's in motion but like i said i'm just using it as an indicator for other things cuz then it'll come in to be like okay well Right now, there are different resolutions, but later it might be, for instance, like you can have more players in multiplayer mode on the PlayStation than you can on the Xbox. Or, you know, the, the geometry of something will just be much greater detail than the same thing in, a, in the other system on yeah. the same game, right? So actually going back to the example of what, Call of Duty Ghosts? Yeah. My bet is, is that they made a executive decision with that product and decided that there's going to be so few people who actually notice the game is running at 720 on the one that they don't care. And it's not worth it for them to spend the extra resource to 
put a programmer on optimizing the code that's running on the one yeah. enough so that it can output just as good as the PS4 is yeah, I don't doubt that. And I hadn't considered the idea that you've got what you said about, you know, programming it specifically for one and then porting to the other. And I don't know how, how production is done these days and what sort of middleware exists. Yeah. Well, they, they either did it with middleware that is, um, I mean, they either did they it probably with... probably didn't use middleware, right? No, all. I mean, they probably have their own middleware, actually. Uh, but anyway, I'm you're getting into details that we don't need to. What did you just say? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, we, let's move on. We're, we're both losing it. But yeah, I guess this is unimportant to each of us. Um, Equally unimportant. Okay, so in other news, did you notice that Angry Birds has come out for major consoles? <sighs> nope. Didn't notice that at all. So I think it was already out. Like, there was already some out for the Kinect. But now, like, Angry Birds Star Wars is out for the current and next-gen consoles. And the reason I bring it up is because my understanding is that it's full price. Hmm. And I guess I guess I should hang on. Let me actually go on and, and check. Let's go to GameStop here. I wonder how it's going to do. That's my first reaction. This is such an interesting example. So I bet it would do just as well, right? Like, I mean, what am I trying to say? Just as well as what, right? But, like, if the game was never a bargain game to begin with, right? but had the popularity that it has, so somehow people were willing to spend $30, 40 $50 on an iOS game, right, uh, to reach the popularity that it got now, I'm sure it would. it's going to do just as well as the popularity um, affords it in in the more expensive marketplace. But... I'm trying to understand why that would be. Why could the game cost literally 20 times as much, if not 50 times as much? So what kind of prices are we talking about here? Do we have that info? Well, that, that I think it was like just came out this week. So I mean, I mean is it like an XBLA game or is it like a proper retail like game? I think, or it, what? I think it's full retail. I, that's what I'm, I really have to figure out. So I'm searching right now. I'm on the GameStop on my phone. So there's Angry Birds on 3DS, the old one, Angry Birds Star Wars, to $40, which means the full game is going to be 50 bucks. Yikes. This is on 360. Uh, well, it's on all the systems, but like Wii, Wii U. So it's just a straight up full price game. Full price game. Me. And it's not even like, so Angry Birds Trilogy. So here's, but the problem is, is that it's, it's not even, price. it's not even a full priced content. I mean, it's never been a full price game. The audacity for them to release it as such. That's my point. But it's kind of like, it's deserving of it. I mean, it's gotten enough people's attention, and it is a pretty big-ish game. And I don't know if they've added, like, cool multiplayer content where you, like, hit a soccer ball around and stuff, right? This, like, this so doesn't compute for me, though, because the whole reason why it was so cheap on the mobile market was because it had to be for anyone... To, for it to be as accessible as it was. But, and I mean, you know, of course, one thing that's true now that was not as true, right? at least right when it came out, was that it's uh, totally a household name now. And that's it's got that going for it. Yeah, so, but, so let me read the description here. Um, well, not the whole description, but it is $50 brand new, 45 used, at least at GameStop. 20 exclusive new levels created just for the console game. 20 whole levels? Oh, 20. boy. Now, that I might could, sound It could like take a me days, maybe even a week to get through those. <laughs> the game comes with far more than 20 levels, right? So adding a little bit yes, more content. How is that, that? That's almost like a minus. How is that even a marketing bullet point? Yeah, no, that's... Well, just to say there is something new. At that, at that point, though... Multiplayer modes and listen, competitive multi... So it added multiplayer and some exclusive levels. Okay. They should have just said some exclusive levels because with the game of that volume of levels, if you're just going to say there's 20 levels that are new, it's not really – it's like it's like making it clear that, you know, when I go to the store to buy my protein bars, that if I buy six bars that cost $2 each, I get a dollar off. Yeah. It's well, a bad deal. I, I feel a little bit guilty now because Angry Birds Trilogy, which has already been released, is also $50. Except in that case, it's three different games you're getting in one. So what might have cost you $3 on iOS instead of $1 now cost you $50 on the Wii U. Yeah, so that sounds like it can – it's like um, 
I mean, you can stomach that as a consumer because it's framed as, okay, well, these are three games Yeah, you're getting for one. I mean, it's it's still sort of the same argument, though. Like, how can they release it for so much more? And so so that's what I want to pose to you. Like, what what do you think is going on here, really? I don't know. Except I'm that it's so just, confused. Because there are games that come out for 20 and 30 bucks on these systems. I mean, not the, the next-gen stuff. The Wii U hasn't had the bargain games like the Wii had. Yeah, but, I mean, those are distinctly, right, the budget amount of content and or quality titles. And, I mean, that's what, that's what the whole, like, moniker of AAA came from was that developers are feeling pressure to offer more and more content within a game any given game that comes out at like the $60 price point and so you started getting these games uh you know in the I guess it was around like maybe 10 5 years ago maybe a little more where you just had like massive massive amounts of content I mean like hundreds and hundreds of hours of things to do and Developers felt increasingly pressured to provide just a ridiculous amount of content um, to justify that $60 price. But this, this is like, we'll just throw a couple things in here and then charge you full price. I mean, I I have to defend it a little bit. Angry Birds does have a lot of content. Like, I've played it enough, even though I continue to argue that it's not a very good game. I use it to waste time on airplanes and stuff. And... I've played through for a very long time and been entertained enough that I'm not like, I wouldn't prefer to sleep or something. Why would you say it's not a very good game? Um, I don't like games where you can do the same thing over and over and get different results. Like? And you can definitely do that in Angry Birds and Bad Piggies. You mean the precise same thing? Something that's as precise as I as a human being can do. And yes, there are also times where different things happen. Like without even... Pulling the slingshot, sometimes different things happen because there's like a little bit of gravity that initiates when the level first loads and different things happen. So you're saying that it feels like a slot machine to you? A little bit. Yeah. Wow. This is so interesting. Because... Like to the point that I will, I will play the level over and over and over doing what I believe to be exactly the same thing, which I understand might technically be slightly different because yeah. it's analog, um, but getting like tremendously different results. But I mean, you're I mean, you're pretty careful and precise, and so I mean, by you telling me this, I believe that as with the best of your ability, this is so. Uh, yeah, and that's that's why I think it's a bad game. Still entertaining, yeah. but not good. Period. We'll be back. Are you going to find a Master of Science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. And we are back. Once again, it's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Don't forget to go to UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advanced Technology. They, uh, they keep the lights on around here. Thank you to them. So I have a confession to make. Yes, that is. I've actually not played Angry Birds. Not even once? Not even once. I've actually not played it. Wow. Well, you can play it if you'd like. I, 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 I think it. I have to now because what was so interesting about your comments from the last segment was I was talking to some other people in a totally different context. And they were telling me, they were explaining to me that the reason why Angry Birds is so popular was because 
it's just such a good game. And Oh they, no, it's horrible. And they were leading me down the exact opposite road that you were explaining to me, which was that, you know, you could actually, you know, get better at it and get you know, so on and so forth and like exercise a lot of control over what you were doing and you The words of an imbecile. No. Well, well <laughs> okay, here's the even more interesting thing is now is going to be a good time for me to reannounce that I'm giving my talk about free-to-play games at the November IGDA meet, independent, independent, huh? International Game Developers Association. We should post, you know, we should post a link to it on our webpage, on our Facebook. We should, we're going to totally do that. And one of the things that I talk about in this talk is this phenomenon where the way a lot structured they are actually built for the express purpose of making you feel like it is a conventional game in terms of you being able to get better at it, but very gradually transforming that game in ways that you can't notice as a layperson, as a person who doesn't study games intensely, into basically what amounts to a slot machine, right? The basic dynamic is, oh, this looks like a regular video game. Oh, I can get better at it, so I'm going to keep playing it because it feels good to get better and you learn. And then over time, you start to realize, and it's over a very long time, that the further you got into it, the less your skill was a factor. And what ends up happening is that what was a skill game at the start has now uh, very surreptitiously transformed into a slot machine. Yeah, so let me let me describe this to you a bit more because I think I am being a little bit unfair. Okay. Um, it it does some things well, like it's cute. I love cutesy games, right? Which is one reason I think it appeals to to a wider demographic. Cute is always well, usually good. Yeah, it's often well received. Uh, certainly, if you're going after women, um, it helps. And there is some amount of control, right? And there's some amount of decision making, which is important. For instance, there's lots of different... The, do you know anything about the game at all? Yeah, I mean, I've watched it. I've okay. watched it a lot. I just So you understand it's, it. You're basically throwing balls into walls to yeah. make everything collapse. But yep. the balls are birds. Um, Decision-making about, like, where am I going to throw this thing? Am I going to throw it on this thing up high so, like, a tower falls and then crushes some dynamite down here that makes something else blow up? And, or am I going to shoot low to make everything sort of fall over instead of just the thing at the top, right? So there's some decision-making, like a puzzle almost. Oh, and I never, to be clear, I never intended to imply otherwise. Yeah, so I I just want to make people think, I I don't think that it's completely random. You just pull it and wait and see what happens. Well, you see, this is the insidious aspect of a lot of these games, is that there is still a skill component, but what happens is that the random component over time increasingly overpowers the efficacy of the skill component. Yeah. Well, the part of it is sort of, I want to say part is in the brain and part is in the action, but the game is so little action. It's all really your puzzle, the puzzle game before, before you actually throw the bird. Right. Right. Um, so it's, that's, what's annoying. You can be like, okay, I'm going to throw it at this particular point to, to make something collapse or whatever. Right. Cause something's made of glass instead of steel. So you can, it, it does a good job in some cases of sort of pointing you to where you're supposed to throw it. Um, and the problem there is that then you do the same thing over and over and you hit it in exactly the same spot. Or it might be just the slightest little bit off, but it makes a huge, huge difference. And so people might say, oh, well, that's, you know, you got to get better. You got to get more accurate. But it's, there's a point. You can only be so accurate with a game like that, right? Yeah. So I've, I've noticed that this phenomenon, right, in some of the other games, like, for example, Jetpack Joyride, uh, because they do it so gradually and just because of the mechanics, people actually blame themselves when it's not their fault. This is what happens because uh, it's just the nature of the, 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 the dynamic. Most people will just say, oh, you know what? I just wasn't good enough to you know, pass that obstacle this time. But what they don't know, and this definitely happens in Jetpack Joyride, is that that obstacle, not every time, just certain times, randomly, 
that was one that you had no hope of ever reacting to. Yeah, and I think that's more obvious in Jetpack Joyride than, like, I, I don't know that Angry Birds does that same type of thing yeah. where but it's, like, impossible the thing is to pass. People get tricked by Jetpack Joyride's ability to do it. And so if this is happening actually in Angry Birds 2, this explains a lot of things. I, with Angry Birds, it's just, like I said, there's randomness to it. And yeah. it's, that's frustrating to me. You know what? I want to I hear from listeners. I would really like to know, because I know that all of you people have played Angry Birds because I haven't. I would really like to know, do you guys think Angry Birds is deterministic? You're going to have to explain what that even means. Really? Okay. So you can type that word into Google, but if you really don't want to, it means does the same thing happen every time for any given identical input you put into it? Yeah. If you, do you feel like it's that way or do you feel like it is not deterministic? I'm fairly, I'm, uh, fairly certain that it is not because, like, I, I'm – I'm pretty sure there are times that before I've even thrown a bird, different things have happened on the levels because there's just the, you know, the eggs or whatever it is you're shooting. Different things in the level act, well, you shoot the birds, but you shoot them at the pigs, right? Sometimes the uh, will do something different before you even do anything to them. Um, You know, roll a little bit, which causes something to drop and to fall or whatever. It's not, it's not often that you see such a drastic, like, Without doing anything, something happens in the world. Right. But sometimes, um, well, yeah, and, you see, they have to keep that like on the edge so that you, so that the illusion of deterministicness is not broken. Yeah, it's a fine balancing act, it seems. Anyway, my my original question with this was all about pricing, and that is still an interesting topic to me. And I just noticed, by the way, that the reviews, which it's funny because these aren't actually reviews. They're just people complaining about the price. But the review is, what, are you serious? $50? Am I reading that right? Someone's like, $50 for a 99-cent game? I really wonder who's buying this and how many they're selling. Well, I'm sure plenty of people are buying it because plenty of adults who don't care about what they're spending are just like, oh, my kids would love this game. Or they already love the game, so let's get yeah, it for them. Yeah, but the, the vast majority of any given market is people who care about how much they're spending. I mean, uh, Well, yes and no. When the market is all, when the market is parents buying it for children, then the price is, I think, less important. Ooh, yes, good point. Yeah. So in this particular case, and that actually, we have another topic that we will not get to this show, but maybe on another show that has a lot to do with what you just said. Parents buying games for the kids, or, or when, yeah, when and price how that doesn't matter. Changes the economy of things. Yeah. No, we should cover that. Yeah, that is very true. Anyway, I'm not going to be buying Angry Birds for a number of reasons. Well, I will not be paying $50 for it. I will yeah. seek out the free version. I have never given them a dime because they end up being free on iOS. But but it's interesting that, like, you know, the company has done very well and made billions and billions of dollars through merchandising and through stock or whatever. I think they went public. I, I don't know. Bought got bought by another company or something yeah rovio has done very very well based only on ios games i just wonder if they can ever come up with another game that isn't angry birds well they did they came out with bad piggies and several iterations that sounds a lot like angry birds well it's the same universe but it's a totally different game and how's that selling um i don't think it did as well but it's not the point my point is they came out, I said ios only it's ios and android and whatever like but mobile games selling for essentially a dollar a piece with some upgrades you could buy for like a dollar, but like they don't they don't really push microtransactions down your throat with that game, and they give a lot away for free. Um, but it's amazing that they do that, and now they come out on console and they have to charge fifty bucks, or they choose to charge fifty bucks a piece. Um, and I and I wonder would it do differently? Like it, it's a much smaller market, right? You have many more people with mobile phones than you do Wii U consoles, and yeah, I'm going to be tracking that on GameRankings.com. All right. <laughs> For sure. Okay. Do we have a lot of time left? Good. What's our time situation? We we don't. We've we've got about three minutes. So well, that's plenty of time for um for me to talk about the topic that I was so eager to and then just forgot about. You you don't want to touch on Gran Turismo Six uh, having a, a moon rover? <sighs> Did you read about that? You know what? I saw that, and <laughs> uh, I mean that's cute. Okay. Uh, I mean. That's look. They had they had for the previous games. They had the very first. They had the Daimler Benz motorized wagon, 
which was basically like even predating Henry Ford was the first non-horse driven. Wait, uh, that's in Gran Turismo 5? Uh, it's not in five. I think it was in four. They didn't bring it over to five for some reason. So do you think that – remember how we were talking about how they always – so far they've had two on every system? Yeah. Do you think the first one is serious and the second one is more like we have more time so we get a little bit weird? Um. Well, they've kind of like – they've always done weird things like that. They've always wanted to anyway. They've always done little weird things here and there like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess five had kart racing, right? Yeah, it's not weird though. It's, I mean, it's kind of weird for Gran Turismo. I mean, look, nothing's as weird as having the moon rover. Okay, that's the <laughs> weirdest thing. But I do know that you know the Polyphony always wanted to make this like a catalog of like vehicles, and I know that you know Kazunori Yamauchi, that was his intent for the. For I want hovercraft. So. Yeah, bring me hovercraft. Anyway, we're at the end of our show again, so, you know, we'll have another one for you next week. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Good night, everybody. listening to chatterbox video game radio tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming and remember all your base are belong to us